Now we're going to read from God's Word. Tonight we're going to read from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. Galatians 5, verses 13 through 26. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The word of the Lord. Well, this evening we are looking at this text which describes the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going through it over the course of several weeks. And when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we are talking about the effects that the Holy Spirit of God has when that Spirit inhabits a person. If, if you are a person who is inhabited by the Holy Spirit, something will be affected about who you are. You'll be able to see things changing and coming out of you now, if we could, we could take this, this notion of the fruit of the Spirit and we could zoom out just a little bit more and, and get an even bigger picture, this, this fruit of the Spirit, this talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it gives us a window, a window that looks into the secret plans of God. You, you could say it that way. God is real, God has always existed, and God formulated plans from the beginning of time before a single person ever lived, and part of his plans, before there was a world, before the universe existed, his deep plans involved, well, what is it? What, what did God plan? What, was, was God, the mind of God, purposing some kind of great ability where you could travel through time? Is that part of the deep purpose of God? Was God's eternal purpose, did he have some, some genius way to harness energy and power and, and to do things with it? Well, here's what we see. God, from before the beginning, God came up with 
a way to make people, and he came up with a way to make people who are kind. And that, was, that was one of his great purposes from the beginning. And, and that's something that's on people's minds today. It's become a slogan in some places, a goal, a mission statement for some. Be kind. Remember how Google recently had this company, Creed. It, it, it's formerly their creed. I think they dropped it. Their creed was, don't be evil. And so this is on, this is on people's minds. And part of that, 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 that desire, that, that recognition, that we should be kind. Can, can we be kind? Part of that resonates with God's ancient plan. God goes even further than that, though. God's plan is to make you a kind person to unkind people. God's plan is to make you a kind person to people who are unkind. To be a good person even when times are bad. Not just to be kind when you're having a good day, but to be kind to people who are not kind to be good when you feel like it would be excusable to take a break from doing good. That's God's plan. God is making you kind to unkind people. And so, so when, when your, your daughter sasses you, or, or when a stranger in the checkout at the store disrespects you, instead of fighting back, God brings out of you a kind word. Now, wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be different? Wouldn't that be desirable? Well, we look at the next three parts of the fruit of the Spirit. Patience, kindness, and goodness. And these three, really, they fit together as a set. Uh, some people say these are, in some ways, um, a, particularly a, um, a social fruit of the gospel. It, it has to do with how we interact with other people. And, and there's something of a flow in patience, kindness, and goodness. And so we'll look at that tonight. And then we see four things in this. First of all, we see patience. Patience puts up with provoking people. Patience puts up with provoking people. And then secondly, there's kindness. And what we see, especially about kindness, kindness shows tenderness. Kindness shows tenderness. Then thirdly, goodness. What we see about goodness, goodness benefits others. Goodness benefits others. And then fourthly, we see a beauty behind this kindness. So we see that patience puts up with provoking people. We see that kindness shows tenderness. We see that goodness benefits others. And we see the beauty behind this kindness. So let's start with patience. And especially this patience that puts up with provoking people. Now, this is, it's, this is all supposed to be practical. We, we're just not interested in having just heady thoughts that we just kind of fly around in our head and then whatever. We, we leave and it was just fun thinking these experimental things. Do you have people? Do you have people in your network of relationships who provoke you? Are there people in your life who provoke you? Maybe at home, maybe in town. And, and maybe it's just something as simple as they sniffle. They, they sniffle too much. And it drives you crazy. Or maybe they pronounce words in a way that you find irritating or, or funny. And you just, you just always want to correct everything that they, that they don't pronounce according to your preference. Or, or maybe, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you've got people in your relationships who are always bringing you suggestions and criticisms 
about yourself, about the way you do things, about what you're not doing. And, and all of that, it provokes you. And recall the context for this passage. If you're familiar with the book of Galatians, remember all of the provoking people who were in the congregations of Galatia. We see, for instance, people in, in that community who are always picking quarrels. Just a few verses earlier, for instance, Galatians 5.15, Paul says, speaking to them, that these, this community of believers, he says, watch out, but if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. They were eating each other up. People in that community, they were chewing each other up. It was nasty. And you can also see it in the verses just after our text. In, in Galatians 5, 26, speaking to them again, he says, let us, let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Why did he have to say that? He said, had to say that because they were conceited. They were provoking one another. They were envying one another. And not only are they they're picking quarrels, we also see in this community that he's speaking to, we see office politics. You know, office politics, verse 20. The communities in Galatia, they have, verse 20, they have jealousies. They've got outbursts of wrath. These very unpleasant all-hands meetings where people just, erupt at each other. We see selfish ambitions, dissensions, disagreements. You have people who are in in their communities who are saying, I want more recognition. Maybe they know not to say it, but that's exactly what's burning under the surface. Or, I want your recognition. I want the recognition you're getting. It should be mine. I want to be higher up in the group. I must be further in to the center of things. And and that can happen in, in businesses, it can happen in organizations, it can happen in friend circles. Do you live or work, maybe it's even in a ministry setting, where it almost seems not like cooperation, but it seems more like a competition, where people resent it when someone else is moved up, where people are backbiting when someone else receives praise, where, where people, they overdrive themselves just for the sake of self-promotion. That, that's, the, that's the human context for, for this fruit of the Spirit. And, and what you see is there are a lot of people who are very provoking and they're provoked by one another. And so in this context, Paul says, God's Spirit, God's Holy Spirit must work patience in you when the people around you provoke you. Well, what is patience? What do we mean by patience? Well, there's another word for patience, and and perhaps you noticed it in this translation that we we read together. Another word for patience is long-suffering, long-suffering. That's not a a, a typical word in in the vernacular today, but it's descriptive, isn't it? Suffering for a long time, suffering long, suffering with much. That's another word for patience. Patience puts up with problems. Patience puts up with problematic people but with a peaceful heart. Okay, so that's some of the flavor. You've got problems, you've got problematic people, and you can put up with it, but you're not grating. You have a peaceful heart, and and you can do it over a long period of time. That's patience. And so what he's saying here is God is making his people, God is making you kind 
to unkind people. And the first part of that, the first step into that will be patience. How do you become a kind person? Well, you've got to be a patient person. Patience with unkind people. Patience with provoking people. And, and this is something that God himself, well, he's been doing it. He's been wearing these clothes since the beginning of humanity. God is the ultimate person, the ultimate one, who is patient with provoking people. Now, now just be honest. One, thing that, one, one kind of people that I find very provoking personally, it's, it's being the adult, but being put in charge of maybe a handful or a room full of of toddlers who are fractious. I love toddlers. I love toddlers. But when there is a toddler who has no limits, a toddler who refuses to comply with even the most barely reasonable boundaries, there's just something about my indignation that just, it just tops out. My indignation tops out, and there's like this invisible level inside me, and my head just overflows, and they have exceeded my limit. I just lose patience with that. But God is not like that. God's not like that. God is patient. He is exceedingly patient. So many places demonstrate that God is exceedingly patient. Think, for instance, of Jonah. Jonah, chapter 4, verse 2. Jonah, this is his accusation, his complaint about God. Jonah accuses God of being patient and being long-suffering with bad people, of being patient with evil people. Jonah 4, 2 says, Jonah is speaking to God, for I know that you, God, are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. That, that, that slowness to anger of God. He's saying, God, I know that you are not easily provoked. God will long suffer intolerable people. And that just made Jonah furious because in his judgment, these people had already gotten away with too much and something needed to be done. No more of this this slowness to anger. No more of this long-suffering patience. God is also, we see from his word, God is like the king who will let you pay back an impossible debt that you have to that king and he will let you pay it back as slowly as you need. There's the famous parable that Jesus gave of the king and the servant. And the servant had gotten to this point where the servant owed the king millions of dollars. And the money was due. And the servant asked the king, begged the king for mercy. And the king, who's, who's, it's, it's an illustration of God, the king was patient. And essentially the king said, I am patient. You take as long as you need. And, and in my mind... The debt's forgiven. Matthew 18, verse 26, this is how Jesus worded it and described it. The servant, therefore, fell down before the king, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Well, then the Lord, the king of that servant, was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave the debt. So do you, do you see the flavor of patience? Do you, see, do you know what patience is? Patience is this sustained response of restraint, but also peace. It's not just restraint, but inside you're just holding back these, 
these, this raging bull that's going to burst out at the person that's provoking you. Patience bears the suffering that someone has brought into your life. Someone has brought trouble into your life. Patience is able just to bear it. Patience is long-suffering. Patience is not provoked. You see why this, the famous chapter about love in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, it says that love is patient. It says that love bears all things. And so at the core of patience is love. At the core of patience is love and kindness in, in your heart. And so if you're a Christian, God calls you to be patient. God is calling you to be patient. He both calls you to be patient and he is making you patient by the constant reforming work of the spirit of God in you if you're a believer. And I wonder, and this is, this is worth asking yourself, with whatever's going on in your life, with the, the waters that feel more lumpy and bumpy and the relationship that seems more to have sand somewhere in, the, in, the, in the, the gear work of it, I wonder, could God be doing that, allowing that, so that he could develop deeper patience in you today? Maybe developing deeper patience in you for just this one person, for just this one kind of situation through trouble, maybe through teenagers, could God be developing some deeper patience in you? Now, if he is, are you yielding to that? Are you yielding to that work of the Spirit forming patience in you? Or are you resisting it? For instance, when, when your sister will not share her stuff with you, or when your friends are always asking and taking from you and rarely, if ever, giving to you, are you patient? Are you willing to have your patience stretched and strengthened and extended even further. When you have trouble being patient with, with someone who's provoking, maybe I could suggest two things that might help. First of all, if you're having trouble being patient with, with someone, a provoking person, could it be that you've lost patience with yourself? Could it be that you have lost patience with yourself? There's this this very common mindset, this common person that's described in the Bible, and it's, it's the self-righteous person. And you could, you could almost say that a self-righteous person, in some ways, is a person who has lost patience with themselves. This is a person who is very hard on the flaws of others. This is a person who is quick to condemn other people. This is a person who is slow and stinting in praise, offering praise to other people. Quick to condemn, but inside, that person is very insecure about himself. Inside, that person is desperate to have herself praised and admired and applauded. And this is what I mean about losing patience with yourself. You can't tolerate your own sins and flaws, and so you despise others who show the same sins and the same flaws. And so if you lose patience with the people around you, could it be that you've lost patience with yourself? You, you've recognized you also have fallen short. But secondly, here's another question to, to help. If you, if, you, if you find that you, 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 you don't have patience with provoking people, do you, do you believe that God is impatient? Do you, do you find that God is essentially an impatient being. Now, whatever you know, whatever you know to be theologically correct about God, functionally, 
your feelings, your, the thing that, that makes you hold back. Functionally, do you believe that God is impatient? It's very easy to fall into that. Because when you believe that God is impatient, that God has not treated you with patience, when you believe that, you're going to find it easy to treat other people with impatience. And, and that can be seen when you have a company. Maybe you've got some corporation where the boss, the, the top man, the top woman is cruel. What happens? What's the ethos that trickles down? Well, the managers are cruel. And in a family where the father is cruel, well, you end up having the sons who are cruel. And in a universe where you believe that God is impatient with you, you will be impatient with others. And so when you find yourself in this situation where you have just lost your patience with someone who's provoking you, I encourage you just to step back and start doing a little bit of digging. Maybe this is a useful conversation with someone else. Is there some way where deep down what's actually going on is I actually believe that God treats me impatiently. It's worth exploring. If you're frustrated with yourself, frustrated with your own battle against your pride, if you're frustrated and defeated in your battle with porn, and you believe that God is frustrated and impatient with you, well, here's what you need to know. And you need to be convinced of this. This is what God tells us about himself. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but the Lord is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's long-suffering towards us. Romans 2, 4. Or do you despise the riches of of God's goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. And what does that tell you? It tells you that God is willing to wait years. God is willing to wait even thousands of years before that were possible to bring you to turn and to bring you to change. He's willing. And so, yeah, you need to resist your temptation. Yeah, you need to strive against the flesh, but you need to know that God is exceedingly patient. God shows us more patience than we show ourselves. And if you are impatient with yourself, you will be impatient with others. God is patient with you. You, be patient with one another. Be patient with those who are unruly. Be patient with people who need to be corrected. Be patient with those who are suffering, with with those people who have many complaints, endless complaints, and many, many needs. They always have needs. And be patient with the weak. Be patient with those who just don't have what it takes to get through what they're facing for those who are forced continually to be depending on other people. Can you be patient with those who are unruly? Can you be patient with those who are suffering? Can you be patient with those who are essentially just weak and powerless? That's, that's 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, the suffering, uphold the weak, Be patient with all. The unruly, the suffering, the disabled, the weak ones, be patient with all of them, he says. And so this is part of how 
God makes us kind to those who are unkind. He makes us patient with provoking people. Now, how else does, does God make us kind to those who are unkind? We'll, we'll move to the next fruit, uh, part of the fruit of the Spirit. He works, he works a tenderness in us, even in the toughest of times. He works a tenderness in us. That's, that's one of the, the, the ways that you can think of kindness. There's a tender heartedness that you have. Kindness shows tenderness to the other person. Kindness shows tenderness, especially when times are tough. Now, it, it's one thing, it's, it's easier, isn't it, to be kind to people who are your friends. They're good to you. It, it's pretty easy to be kind to them. And Jesus says, it's great. It's great when you are kind to those who are kind to you. It's great to be kind when people are speaking well of you. But how about when people curse you? How about when people trash talk you? How about when people circulate untrue things about you through the email list, through the text chain? Well, that's hard. It's hard to be kind then, isn't it? When people scoff at you, when people trash you. And Jesus says, bless those who curse you. Speak well of those who speak ill of you. Be tender, be full of goodwill to those who wish ill upon you. So you know, what, you know what shows a kind heart? It's when you can be kind to someone who misuses you. It's, it's when you can have a tender heart instead of a stony heart towards a hard person. And that's love. Remember that, that chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, also says, love is patient, love is kind. It's the same word. Kindness says to the other person, to the provoking person, your heart is hard towards me. In the moment, even right now, this flame that you're shooting at me, your heart is hard towards me, but my heart, it's still soft towards you. Their, their unkindness hasn't killed your compassion for them. Their treachery hasn't evaporated your tenderness towards them. Now, maybe the person has done wrong. Maybe the person has harmed your reputation. Maybe the person has cost your time by their inconsideration, but you still want for their, their well-being. You still won't retaliate. You won't withdraw. You won't neglect them. You desire for them to find help, not harm. I, I don't know how else to describe this, but my wife has been exceedingly kind to me. Over 33 years of marriage, she has been exceedingly kind to me. And it has been an incredibly uneven relationship. She is far more kind to me, and I am far more unkind to her. And at this point, if it was a matter of scorekeeping, it's hopeless. There is no way I would ever be able to catch up. But it's not a matter of scorekeeping. She has been kind, and I honor her in the gate for that. Now, do you know how difficult it is to be kind in tough times? Do you know how difficult it is to be kind with tough people? To deal with a husband who gets moody? To deal with a, a, a self-centered man? And to be kind, even when he is not kind. To, you know how difficult it is to, to confront, to speak the truth in kindness, in love. Even if he's going to receive it poorly. To be kind 
to unkind people, if you can accomplish that by God's grace, that is powerful. And it's really, it's beyond our fallen state. That kindness requires something from outside of ourselves, something from God, a motive change and a power from the spirit of God working in you. There's no other way you could do something that powerful. And when you do experience this, and when you do have this kindness towards unkind people, you've mastered something. You've avoided, you've avoided curving inward with self-pity when you're treated poorly, and, and instead, of, instead of retreating inward and just nursing your wounds, you have found a way to orient again outwards. In, instead of your heart becoming closed and cold, you stay tender, you stay kind, and instead of becoming bitter, you start to blossom with love. And that's, that's part of God's plan, this unbelievable ancient plan to work this kindness in you because God is kind. You remember that? Here, here's, here's another text. It's in the New Testament. And this would have, Jonah would have just gone bananas and it would have frustrated him to no end. Jesus said in Luke 6, 35, love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he, speaking of the Most High, speaking of the Lord, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. God is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Isn't that amazing? God is kind to the ungrateful people. For the people who have never even thought of saying thank you, much less voice those words. God is kind to those who are evil. And this is his plan, to make you kind to unkind people. So we, we see this patience that puts up with provoking people. We see this kindness, which which is tenderness. Next, goodness. That's the, the last fruit we'll look at tonight, goodness. And what you want to understand about goodness, the word that's used here for goodness, goodness benefits other people. Goodness brings benefit to others. And so we're just going to look at this briefly. There's, there's something of a progression with these three fruit here, these three aspects of this, this fruit, patience, kindness, and then goodness. Patience is, is like this restraint and, and, and a peace that you have in response to the, 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 the unkindness and the difficulty that you're in. Kindness is this tender disposition. It's positive. And then this third part of the fruit, goodness, it's the outworking. It's the action that comes out of the patience and the kindness. It's the, the action that, that comes out of the restraint and the tender disposition you have. Goodness works good for the other. Goodness takes action to help and to benefit the other person. One commentator describes goodness as what is right and advances the well-being of the other. So it's morally right. It's good. It's not bad. You're doing good and it advances the well-being of the other person. Goodness takes steps to improve the other person's situation. Goodness takes steps to improve the other person's person, welfare. Goodness flows out of this patience and kindness. And so this orientation to the welfare, not of yourself, but the welfare of the other, that means Christians, of all people in society, it means that Christians should be oriented and, and should have a heart burden, should, should be heart heavy for people who need 
to have their situation improved. Christians of all people in society should have a heart for the poor, for the disadvantaged. Christians of all people in the world should be tender and and should, should be wanting to take steps to minister to those who are sick, to those who are medically challenged. It means that Christians, it means you don't avoid those who are mentally troubled, but Christians have a heart for the troubled and Christians move towards those who are, who are mentally troubled and, and seek help for the mentally troubled. Think, think of the worst case scenario situation. The man from Gerasene, he was spiritually troubled by a demon, by many demons. He was physically troubled. He was socially troubled. He was without secure housing. He was without clothing. He was emotionally troubled. He was howling. He was raving. He was cutting himself, and Jesus moved directly to be with that man. Are you scared of troubled people? Well, it can be scary, but do you realize that you don't don't have to be an expert? You don't have to be wealthy to love another person. You don't have to have a degree in counseling to treat a suffering person with decency to treat them like another human being. Do do you realize it is okay just to sit with someone who's powerless and, and not to have a solution for their disaster? Goodness benefits other people. So you can, you could just be a kid. You could just be a little kid and you can show goodness to an old man or to an old woman. And you could be some clean cut business owner And you could show goodness to a career criminal. And you can be a Christian and show goodness to an enemy. Now, as as we close, we're going to look at the beauty in this kindness. There's a beauty in this kindness that, that God is working in his people. And we have to recognize that to the extent that you try, you try to be patient, and you try to be kind, and you try to do good, that's, that's not how ultimately you get there. It, it's got to be your desire, not just your effort. Because obligation, I, I'm doing this, I'm going to be patient because I have to. Obligation, it will not produce kindness. It, it may go pretty far, and depending on how much just internal rigor you have, you may be able to go pretty far, but you'll eventually snap. You'll, you'll, you'll eventually get called upon. Patience will be drawn from you beyond your limit, beyond your love tank, your kindness tank, and you'll just run out and you'll snap and it just, it won't be pretty. Obligation will not produce kindness. Obligation says, I have to be kind or else I will get in trouble or else people will see that I'm not as righteous as I like to portray myself. And, and when you're frustrated, when you're frustrated in, with another provoking person, it, it starts to reveal that you're being driven by obligation at some level. But when you see this, this beauty in kindness, that can mold you. That can, that can move you towards patience, kindness, and goodness. And then you're not doing it because you're obligated. You're doing it because it's just so wonderful. And you're thinking, that's exactly it. That's exactly where I want to be. That's how I've been treated. That's how I want to treat other people. And so even when you're dealing with unkind people, even when dealing with unkind circumstances that you're having to slog through, that, that's where, that's how, that's the dynamic of how the Spirit makes us to be kind. When you're dealing with trouble or you're dealing with troublemakers, 
Everything in you, in the flesh, would be telling you that you would be justified in striking back, or, or maybe you would be justified in just retreating into this temptation to, to solely self-soothe and, and to give into every impulse to escape or to indulge yourself. But here's how you, you start to see this beauty, and, and you start to want it. It's, it's when you see Christ in the gospel. Jesus lived us, lived us and gave us this, this higher way, this way of patience and kindness and goodness in the gospel. And he, he did it. He did it, beautifully and impossibly. How did he do it? In the gospel, Jesus showed the ultimate patience. Jesus was patient and, and long-suffering. It was when he was surrounded by his own provoking people. His own disciples did not support what he was doing. They did not support his crucifixion. They argued against it. They didn't understand it. They wouldn't understand it because they were hard-hearted. They didn't understand his resurrection. And so instead, Jesus was patient and instead of just repeatedly talking about it, he finally just showed it to them. Jesus was patient with them. He was long-suffering. And, and you see that patience on the cross from the third hour to the ninth hour. Jesus patiently hung on a Roman cross six hours until the fullness of crucified suffering was accomplished. Jesus patiently suffered the long pain and he suffered it without striking back. He suffered it with patience. Even though they reviled him, the religious leaders and the thieves that hung next to him ridiculed him, insulted him, but he didn't lash back at them. He was patient with all men, even in his worst pain. And, and in his worst pain and under unjust attack, not only was he patient, Jesus was kind. Jesus was kind and good. In his worst pain, in his public shame, he was thinking about other people's good. He thought, he thought about his mother's needs. His own pain and needs never overrode the human need that was right in front of him. Now, do you see anything of beauty there? Is there anything in that that attracts you? Jesus endured the penalty for our sins. And as he did that, and as it was just beautiful what he did, what you need to understand is this. He accomplished all obedience in doing that. All the obedience that we lack, he accomplished that. He was patient for us. He was kind. He was good. He accomplished the fullness of righteousness as he did those things. And so his patience, the patience of Christ, is why God is pleased with you. Christ's kindness is why God commends you. That's the gospel, isn't it? We just, we just can't outdo Jesus. We can't even live up to, to Jesus. And so you start to find it lovely to lay your life down, to pursue patience, to return kindness and goodness for evil. And, and if you believe, you've got the spirit of Jesus the spirit of Christ resident in you. And that spirit is working in you. And that spirit is molding you and moving you as you endure your own suffering and your own unjust treatment at the hands of others. He's working it out in you. You're able to say this, Jesus has been kind to me. God, make me kind to unkind people. Let's pray. Lord, again and again, we come to your law. The law condemns us, but Christ has taken away our condemnation. And so we approach this, this beautiful 
law of love that we see in the Lord Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that you would work this in us, enable us to pursue it, but not out of obligation, not out of a sense that we have to measure up, but because Christ has done it. And you're pleased with us. And so we're in love with what he's done and how you've treated us. Lord, sweep away the lies and the suspicions that we harbor against you, where we think you're impatient with us, where we think you haven't been kind enough to us, where you've withheld good from us. Lord, overwhelm us again with the, 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 the boundless goodness that you've shown to us and you will continue to show to us and enable us, Lord, to step into this new identity, which is ours. And we ask this so that Jesus would be glorified in our lives. In his name we ask, amen.